0: I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, uh, where we try to uh, make... The current moves with Web3, crypto, NFTs, DeFi, make it accessible to everyone because it does seem like it's a bit of a mystery, but it is very quickly moving to the main street. And often we talk about truly exciting topics like prices paid for incredible NFTs and virtual properties in the metaverse. And today we're going to talk about a subject which I'm sure is very exciting for us all, and that is the tax and accounting treatment of cryptocurrency. Now, I know many people who are involved in the crypto world have a belief that you don't need to worry about tax or indeed accounting issues uh, with crypto, and I can assure you that nothing could be further from the truth because the revenue authorities, they may move slightly slowly, but they will get there in the end. They are like the glacier, uh, the revenue authorities will catch up uh, with crypto and, and crypto trading and so forth. So today, what I'm going to talk about is, is really a couple of things with our experts from EY, talk about accounting, and also from my firm, Norton Rose Fulbright, to talk about tax. And really to dispel a couple of um, myths. So the first is that you're anonymous uh, when you're dealing in crypto and so forth. And people do live with this idea that they have a a virtual wallet and that conveys anonymity. It conveys a degree of anonymity, but uh, I can assure you that in my experience, wallets can be traceable. So um, I think the anonymity argument is somewhat flimsy and I would be concerned if if you were relying on that. I think there's this idea of, um, you know, what is happening with organisations. So, uh, Uh, we're seeing a lot more organizations who are embracing cryptocurrencies. And, you know, we're going to talk today about what to do if you're an organization and you want to, you know, invest in some crypto to put on the balance sheet as part of a corporate treasury strategy. Going to talk about if you're an organization that wants to accept Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies uh, in return for your goods and services. We know that Gen Z uh, loves crypto, and so many organisations are starting to seriously consider how they can start accepting uh, crypto payments. What the tax issues are about? What are the uh, what are the accounting issues? And they're they're surprisingly relatively straightforward, but uh, but you do need to be across them. And then, of course, what to do with employees? And where employees are being paid in cryptocurrency, and we're starting to see. That happened and then uh, give a little case study on a wonderful project that uh, I worked on together with the Norton Rose Fulbright team where we were setting up uh, a token option plan. So rather than an employee share option plan, a token option plan where the employees actually got tokens rather than shares. Uh, and I've got to say, uh, the employees were very keen on those tokens. So a token option plan may be something for your organization down the track. So with that, uh, let us move to our first discussion, uh, and that is in relation to tax and cryptocurrencies. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Greg Reinhardt who is a partner and also the head of the tax team for Norton Rose Fulbright Australia. So, Greg, thanks very much for joining us. Nick, thank you for having me. So we, what we're going to talk about today is, is tax and crypto, which is really sort of the fun police because I think uh, a lot of people in the crypto world have a bit of a view that, uh, you know, it's anonymous. I can, you know, tax isn't probably highest on their minds. Um, So what we're trying to do today is understand a little bit more about, you know, what is the actual tax treatment of crypto, particularly for organisations that are looking to embrace it more into uh, their particular operation. So it's really looking at it more from the corporation's point of view, uh, not the individual holders of crypto. So, Greg, I guess the first question is, um, you know, what is the, the Australian tax officer's view on crypto?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because this is, by its nature, disruptive technology, um, and tax rules, by their nature, tend to always lag a little bit behind. Um, so there's two real aspects to this. Is one is what is the technical treatment, and also in terms of an enforcement perspective, how you know what is the ATO doing here? Um, the ATO has taken um, quite a, a pragmatic view. They just treat crypto as any other form of asset. In this case, it's digital, um, but they apply all the same capital gains tax, trading stock rules, employee withholding rules uh, to crypto transactions as if they were you were paying with any other asset. Importantly, though, what they haven't done is they don't treat it as currency. So there are special rules, some of which are quite concessional about transa- transactions with foreign currencies where you might be able to defer realization times and things like that they don't apply. They only apply to state-endorsed currencies, um, and the ATO has been very specific that that doesn't include crypto assets. So if you are holding crypto and you sell it, you make a capital... Um, at the base case, you'll make a capital gain, um, hopefully. And <laughs> Depending on is, when you bought it. Yes, there's, there is some important timing caveats there. <laughs> but if you've made a capital gain... Yes you will uh, be expected to account for tax on that and if you've held that crypto for more than 12 months you may get access to the cgt discount um but the ato does expect you know does treat that sale as a taxing event importantly also if you switch between cryptos each crypto is a separate asset so if you do a you know you're, you're trading between them every time you go in and out any gains you realize are taxable um The um, same with losses, Um, but, you know, it it is actually a taxing event and you're meant to be reporting it. There isn't, you know, you can't say, oh, well, it's just this is in the crypto world. I only pay tax when it becomes connected to the real world. Um, So that they've their approach there is um, to to treat it just as another asset. As I said, it's not currency. It's also, you know, it's not considered like subject to some sort of equity treatment. It's not like a a share or something like that. So all the rollovers and things like that that might apply for shareholders or employee share schemes, they're not going to apply here either. This is just a digital asset. And every time you transact, the ATO would like to see some of that in your tax return.
0: (laughs) So I think... And the, I, the takeaway from that is that we've got a robust uh, set of regulations. The ATO has been uh, very good with uh, setting that up. And so uh, really there is a framework. It's interesting that that um, the, the trading between crypto that you mentioned, um, I think many individual holders are probably not super across that, and particularly in the world of DeFi, uh, there's a lot of, Sort of trading happening between cryptos and, um, there's, there's, some interesting business models actually that have come up with organizations that can help track, um, your crypto trading and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see as, as those traders mature how, um, how they interface with the ATO. So now what we, we've seen some interesting things with crypto and corporates. So Tesla, uh, very famously bought Bitcoin to put on the balance sheet. Um, and we've got, uh, other companies such as MicroStrategies and also Block, formerly Square, now owner of Afterpay. So they've, they've got crypto on the balance sheet. And then, uh, remarkably, I think KPMG Canada, um, announced that they have bought some Bitcoin and some Ethereum or Ether to put on their balance sheet as, as part of corporate treasury strategy. So for those organisations, Greg, out there who might be thinking, you know, what are the tax implications of holding crypto on the balance sheet?
1: Well, I mean, for them, you know, and particularly those sorts of organisations which are going to be held to a high level of scrutiny and, and, you know, more investigative resources, that's going to be treated like like all other assets. Um, they will need to account for the gains and losses um, that they make in those transaction and treasury events like they would with bonds, shares, or any other currency asset. Um, But as I said before, they're not going to get the benefit of any retranslation exemptions and things like that. So when they buy and sell, that gain inherent will need to be reported to the tax officers. Um, If they're, you know... For most people who hold cryptos, as a kind of longer term hold, you might access capital gains. But if you're actually in the business of trading and selling it, you'd probably actually account for it as trading stock, um, which means that whatever, you know, there's no CGT discount. You're just paying tax on any gains as as they arise. Um, and you'd account for it as trading stock at the end of each year.
0: Oh, fantastic. OK, that's interesting. I hadn't thought through the trading stock idea, but yeah, that's that um, that makes sense. We've also seen organizations starting to open up to the idea that uh, they may need to start accepting payment for their good or service in Bitcoin or others. And we've seen um, in the US, particularly folks like AT&T have been allowing people to pay their phone bills in crypto. What What are the tax considerations if you're going to start accepting crypto?
1: in Australia the, the 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 interesting one here is really around GST um, in that you know it is a different means of payment um, the, in about 2017 the ATO actually realized that this was you know a possibility and what they did is they practically exempted um, cryptocurrencies from GST so buying and selling crypto does not attract the 10% GST if you're registered. But what you buy and sell with that crypto, that's still subject to GST. So there is a a translation question here is that if I sell something for $110 and I accept payment in Bitcoin, um, I still have to account to the ATO for $10 of GST on that, uh, the one And you would need to be able to convert that transaction quite quickly to to lock in your position to then be able to pay the ATO because they're not going to accept payment in Bitcoin.
0: It's um, yeah. <laughs> that's, um, I mean that's that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Because and, and your point there, given that you don't have like for like, if you're accepting the payment in Bitcoin, but you've got to pay the GST uh, in fiat in Aussie dollars, um, yeah, making that translation very swiftly so you're not left uh, with an exchange rate issue. Um, fascinating. It makes the 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 idea of the um, you know the Bass return become even. Even more complicated. So, uh, yeah. so something, I mean, something to
1: look forward to. It's the same issue we'd have if you accepted payment in US dollars or British right. pounds, but generally the, the movement between that, those currencies and the Aussie dollar are not as extreme day to day. So, you know, you, uh, your effective rate becomes a, you know, easier to hedge. Yeah.
0: Great. Right. Um, then what we've seen recently is, uh, Companies like Finder in Australia, very successful technology company, quite a young workforce. They're offering to pay people partly in cryptocurrencies. Uh, so we're starting to see a little bit more of this, and particularly with Gen Z, who see crypto uh, as more of a you know an, a native uh, aspect to it. If you are going to start paying your employees in cryptocurrency, what are the what are the tax tricks there?
1: This is the one area that the the ATO hasn't been quite as clear on, um, because they actually released two comments about it, which kind of cut across each other. The basic rule is, crypto is not currency, so it's an asset, and if you provide an asset to an employee, subject to fringe benefits tax. And with fringe benefits tax, it's the employer that pays the tax, not the employee. So a company doing that's really got to be careful that the tax expectations are being managed right because they're going to be paying tax at a corporate level on the highest marginal rate, and the employee is not paying tax. So, the amount you pay, however you translate that, you need to manage quite carefully. Um, but they have also put out a um, so that was in a tax determination. I'm just trying to think it was 2014. They said, All right, if you give your employees. Uh, digital assets, we're going to treat that as fringe benefits. And that makes a lot of sense when it's in addition to your wages. And, and that was really the context back in 2014 that they were looking at it is, You know, you're still getting your normal wages, but perhaps your bonus is in crypto. And that's when the FBT treatment. They've also put out on their website that if you actually pay your employees completely in crypto, we expect PAYG to be withheld and it's just treated like wages. So those two things don't sit quite comfortably. But I think as a, as a sort of rough guide where we're starting, and you know, this is still a bit of a brave new world for the tax office, if all your salary is coming out as crypto, there's no Aussie dollar component, um, I think you'd be, as an employer, you'd be saying you should withhold tax, treat it as if, you know, do a conversion, treat it as if you paid them in currency and make sure that you're meeting the withholding tax obligations. If you're doing it as, in addition to wages, it's a bonus, it's um, maybe a discretionary element or a piece on top, then the FBT treatment might apply, in which case the employer is primarily liable for that tax.
0: Right. That sounds like that's uh, that's quite a nuanced uh, issue, so I suspect uh, Listen, folks who are listening to that, um, please do get some very solid tax advice on how you're doing if you are going to be paying uh, folks, because it, it does seem obviously the treatment between FBT and PAYG is significantly different. We've also got the, I guess, the superannuation guarantee, etc. So yeah, because
1: that would count as part of their salary, and then yeah. you are you would be expected to, um, you know. To, to to account for it. And the interesting thing, particularly with super, there's no statute of limitations on that one. The ATO can come back to an employer 20 years down the track. So getting it right and getting clarity, including engaging with the ATO upfront becomes really important. Because whilst everyone is happy now and things are going well, you just need one disgruntled employee down the track to look back and go, ah, you didn't properly compensate me and a claim can be made and you're really on the back foot as the employer um, because the rules are set up to protect employees um, going forward. So you really do need to get that clarity as to how these things should be treated.
0: Yeah, terrific. Um, now, you and I had um, had a, 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 an interesting project just recently uh, where we had a client that had its own token and was offering that token as a token, part of a token option plan. And so we had the very interesting situation where we had a a standard ESOP, so an equity share option plan, and then a token option plan. And I have to say, my sense was the enthusiasm of the employees was far more around the token uh, than it was around the equity, which was a real flip, you know, if you think people are driven by the equity opportunity. And I think in this case, because... You know, if you're taking equity in an unlisted company, you know, as an employee, you've got to wait around for a while, um, before you can monetize that. Whereas a token, um, you know, once vested, uh, you can actually sell into the market quite quickly. So important new uh, tool for incentivizing employees. Can you talk a little bit about some of the tax, uh, issues we found along the way there?
1: Yeah. No, it, this was really interesting because employee share schemes. They're old school. They've been around forever. Um, And the ATO's got quite detailed rules that look to tax and give concessions to employees who are participating in the equity arrangements. Um, Digital assets, even when they're granted in the same way, don't enjoy those concessions. So, you know, there was the the startup concessions introduced really targeting um, the IT industry, um, looking to, you know, create new... um, ways of rewarding employees in startups, they don't extend beyond traditional equity models. So the, even though they're, they're targeted at the same industries, the, 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 the concessions just don't extend beyond, you know, for the, for the token option plan. And so you're really back into that whole issue of if we give our tokens and they have value at the time we give them, then you're really dealing with FBT um, challenges and you know, potential tax for the employer, that needs to be managed,
0: Great. Um, thank you for that. I think um, for those people that are listening, that um, uh, that piece of advice uh, should be worth the the cost of listening because it's it's actually quite a um, quite a difficult analysis. But uh, thanks, Greg, for making that so clear. Just just finally, so the Australian government has made uh, a, a pledge that it will regulate crypto this year. Um, and so, I guess, what does that mean? Do you think, from the tax point of view, do we are we seeing are we going to see a lot of changes
1: in the tax laws? Um, you know, I think there's definitely going to have to be some changes because this is this is a new world. But actually, what these are going, you know, in October was it 2021? So last year, um, Senator Bragg's Committee, you know, put out a paper that said, oh, we need to amend the CGT rules to deal with these assets. Um. But the actual changes they've they've proposed don't seem to be, you know, it's certainly not wholesale reform from the existing rules. Um, They are very concerned, you know, when you're looking at, you know, sort of DeFi protocols and how crypto assets might interact with our tax system in that sort of distributed space. But they've definitely, um, then they've talked about perhaps having new sort of CGT events so that you only have... You know, that translation taxing point might only be when you move it out of one class into another. But they haven't, you know, someone had suggested that they would move to taxing crypto assets so that only you basically only tax at an on-ramp and off-ramp point. Right. Um, they've said, no, we're not doing that. We're we're still taxing, you know, we're still treating these as digital assets. Um, so actually how this will will move out is still a little bit unclear I think the bigger challenge for the ATO is really going to be about enforcement Um, and you know I I think a lot of people underestimate the data gathering power of the ATO, it's certainly not quick but it's
0: it gets there in the end,
1: <laughs> and and, and the, you know the way they've been uh, you know tackling crypto transactions up until now is to really look at where it interacts with um, the rest of the economy. You've got to move money into the system and out of the system. You've got to pay for things. At some point, that will create enough of a record that the ATO can then come and start to ask you difficult questions about how you've afforded or paid for different things. Um, And they're also, you know, the ATO gets a lot of information from the banking sector at the moment. They're also looking at, you know, sort of DSPs within the crypto world to sort of go, if you've got a presence in Australia, we can request information from you. So I think a lot of the anonymity that is currently enjoyed, certainly within perhaps the the digital environment, it keeps having to interact with the traditional economy and the ATO is definitely at the moment targeting those interactions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is going to be interesting as to what at what point does it become too difficult for them to to, to get visibility there. And if they feel that they are not capturing enough tax, yeah you know, I think then we will see a vastly different set of regulations being introduced.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No I I agree entirely. I think there's a there's a world out there that believes that you know if you that that your persona in the virtual world is a wallet only a sort of virtual wallet and that that's not traceable but you know we've seen that that has been so look Greg thank you very much for your time uh, a lot of amazing information there's a uh, you know a, a lot of work has gone into uh, those answers I know they are not simple thank you very much for making it so easy to understand and uh, thanks for joining us Greg Reinhardt Absolute pleasure. Thank you. I'm delighted to have with me today Damien Jones, who is a partner at EY and heads up the accounting advisory team there. So, Damien, thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks,
2: Nick. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. And a
0: a tricky topic we're going to discuss today, one of which I think uh, you and I both are getting some interesting calls from, from people who perhaps 12 or 18 months ago we probably wouldn't have got calls on um, in relation to crypto. But did you want to start out just also just setting the scene a little bit just in terms of, you know, it's a risky area and so forth?
2: Yeah, look, thanks, Nick. And look, I don't want to go through a lengthy disclaimer, but but look, what we're going to talk about here isn't, you know, formal accounting advice. And I think if you take something away from the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's this is a complex area. You know, there isn't sort of, you know, just turnkey guidance out there for this. And so, I guess my advice to everyone is you know really think it's it's a case by case basis so so work through you know whether you're an issuer or a holder of cryptocurrency you know you've got to think through a number of different issues so you know seek advice whether that's legal advice on white papers or you know talk to your auditor or advisor and so that's my advice to everyone what we'll go through sort of sets the the background to the accounting
0: yeah, terrific. I couldn't agree more. It's, um, it, it is, it is complicated. And, and indeed, you know, you mentioned the white papers. It's, um, uh, some of the white papers we've looked at are, are incredibly brief in their run in the way that they deal with these things. So it's just, um, you know, there's all sorts of different issues out there. So, uh, so yeah, you are well advised, but I think what we're going to talk about today with Damien is just a little bit about how does the accounting regulatory framework, I guess, flex to the new digital asset environment. So maybe, I mean, the first question, how have the accounting standard setters addressed actually crypto asset accounting? Does it, feels like the accounting standards still got some catch up to do.
2: Yeah, yeah look, f- fair comment, Nick. I think, you know, there's a bit of work still to do. Uh, and look, I think the the opening comment is that, there, as I said, there isn't a specific accounting standard for, for crypto, whether that's as a holder or an issuer. And so you do need to work your way through a number of different standards. And so I guess the question is, well, what is there to to help me? And so the first piece of guidance really was issued by IFRIC back in 2019. And so that was quite limited. That was focused on the accounting as a holder for cryptocurrencies. So sort of a subset of the, the broader sort of digital asset agenda, focused on holder, focused on cryptocurrency. And what that did go through is is really essentially say, look, these things typically aren't financial instruments. There's no contract here. And so what we're talking about is it's an intangible asset. Whether that's inventory or an intangible asset uh really depends on a case-by-case basis. And we'll sort of go through some of the things you need to think about to make that judgment. But I think it's important to say, you know, that guidance is out there. It's for things like Bitcoin, Ethereum. I think when you're talking about you know, ICOs, token issuances, uh, you really need to think through a broader array of accounting standards. Yeah. And so, uh, you, you know, you were saying we get a lot of questions. Certainly some of the questions I'm getting at the moment are around, you know, if I'm holding Bitcoin or Ethereum, is that a financial instrument? Is it a contract or is it something else? And as I said, generally it's not, but that's not to say you cannot structure a contract to get you to to something being a financial instrument, and so I think a lot of, you know, particularly in the wealth space, thinking through: is it a financial contract? Can I have a forward over Bitcoin, as opposed to physically owning Bitcoin? Do I have a difference there? And I think typically the answer is what it could well be. Having a forward over Bitcoin feels like there's a contract there, whereas physically owning one Bitcoin, there is no enforceability, as you said. There, if I have hold one Bitcoin, I don't have a legal obligation or entitlement to a mine or an exchange or to anyone else if i want to realize the value of that i need to go find a a a buyer and so there is no contract there per se and and hence we end up sort of in in an intangible world
0: yeah yeah and that that certainly makes sense i think and we won't won't go into it but i had a i had someone come in with a proposition around the nft space and and i think that's where we start to morph into contracts because you've got smart contracts there and The proposition was um was was trying to get me to think about this particular nft which entitled the the buyer to you know some sneakers um some digital sneakers but there was a smart contract that gave them um uh, early access and discounts to new sneaker drops and was that to be treated in the same way as a dividend in under a normal situation it was like Whoa. Okay. Well, uh, let's <laughs> let's back off there. So I think you know that's not the subject for today's discussion. But I think once we once we launch into smart contracts, NFTs, and those sorts of things, and you know virtual land, I think you know there's some uh, we sort of move perhaps more towards contracts. But um it just pulling it pulling it back then to crypto, and we have seen some entities, not not just crypto brokers, but actual corporate entities, uh publicly declaring that they're holding Bitcoin. Uh, and other crypto on their balance sheet, for example, Tesla, which is a US Gap filer. Um, how do IFRIS filers account for crypto on the balance sheet? Is, is the approach the same? Yeah.
2: Look, uh, and I will say there is, there's always going to be a difference between IFRIS and, and US GAAP here. So I will focus my comments on, on, on IFRIS. Uh, but look, a lot of those public cases are, are in the US. And so, you know, there's been a, a recent, you know, the disclosure made by Micro Strategies when they had to take an impairment or come on to why they're taking an impairment as an intangible asset. Uh, but the SEC came out, didn't necessarily like some of their disclosure, uh, some non gaap measures they put in. And, and I think there are some parallels within IFRIS that we'll talk to. And so what, what I thought I'd do just for a few minutes is sort of walk through, uh, you can almost think of it as a flow chart of different, of possible different accounting consequences you can get to and some of the questions that you need to think about as you work your way through. And at the bottom is in and we'll spend a bit of time talking about, you know, what you need to do and the, some of the, the sort of consequences of having to impair these assets. Uh, but perhaps if I start at the top of the, the waterfall and work my way through and, you know, Nick, stop me if, uh, you want to ask questions on the way. But I guess the first question, and it's pretty theoretical is, you know, is any of this stuff, and, and I'm talking about from the holder here, you know, do, do I have cash or a cash equivalent? Uh, and look, we perhaps will have a chance to talk about El Salvador and, you know, what's, what's going on there and, and the use of, you know, Bitcoin, especially as, as a payment. But, but I think it's fair to say at the moment, there are no cryptocurrencies that would be Considered to be cash or cash equivalent. And so you can pretty quickly discount that. But I guess the important thing here, here is over time, is it ever going to be a medium of exchange? Uh, is it something that you would effectively, you know, use as a, as a point of value for your entire financial statements, you know, akin to, to cash? And I think we're a long way off that. But Nick, if you think about things like, you know, the central bank digital coin currencies, uh, we are starting to move towards having digital cash, you know. And so, again, some of those accounting standards may need to evolve to keep up. But look, if we discount cash to start with, the, the next accounting standard is IFRIS-9, which is sort of financial instruments. And as I say, the key question is, is, is there a contract? And so to, to your examples around NFTs, there, there are clearly examples of structured arrangements that you can put a contract in that potentially get you into IFRIS-9. And so, again, you need to work your way through that. You know, do I have a contract? Is that an obligation? Is it a financial liability? Is it a financial asset? How would I account for that? And look, there's different accounting consequences under IFRS 9. You may end up at cost. You may end up at fair value. And so, again, there's a a fair amount of work if you are in IFRS 9 to work your way through. But, But as a rule, cryptocurrencies, generally speaking, wouldn't be considered to be financial instruments. And so the next, uh, I guess, uh, fl- flow in that chart is inventory. And so you say, well, under IS2, is that, you know, accounted for as inventory? And really that's for, you know, you've got to think normal course of business. If I'm a widget maker, I'm holding widgets, right? That's my inventory. There, there are not going to be that many companies out there whose uh, inventory is just made up of cryptocurrencies. But P- potentially a broker-dealer, you know, that sort of entity could probably justify that's my inventory that's what i'm holding but if i'm a a corporate entity manufacturing or making something and i just happen to have some bitcoin i think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that was inventory now if you did get to inventory it's typically held at at cost or lower of cost or net realizable value but as a commodity broker dealer there is an exception that says actually you can fair value uh less cost to sell So quite attractive for commodity broker dealers, and we may see them using that sort of inventory fair value method. The next, if you're if you're not inventory, which typically you're not, again for crypto, you say is it is it some sort of prepayment? And again, getting to your example with the sneakers, you say, have I issued something or do I hold something that actually entitles me to some future goods or service? And so potentially you're into actually someone's almost prepay, you know, give me a prepayment, and so. You know, the accounting for prepayments, again, there isn't a, a sort of a, a discrete accounting standard, but prepayments are typically held at cost. Uh, and so you do then need to work your way through, you know, I'm holding it at cost, but I would have to assess it for impairment under IS36. And so finally, if it's none of those, and, uh, you know, you've kind of worked your way through the list, the final one typically as well, it is an intangible asset. So no physical presence, uh, it's identifiable, does give rise to some economic benefit in the future, generally ticks the boxes of, of an intangible asset. And so then you have two sort of choices. There is, you know, the first one is you hold this at cost. So if you're a corporate, uh, you hold it at cost. If it's a infinite life coin, such as Bitcoin, you know, there's no f- finite life on this. You don't need to amortize it. If it's finite life, you amortize. But I guess the important thing here is, and you know, given the recent dip in, in some of the cryptocurrencies is when do you have to take an impairment? Now there is an annual assessment, but actually more frequently than that, if you're seeing a sort of permanent, you know, decline in value, you need to start thinking through the, the, the impairment assessment. And look, that, that's tricky because impairments go to P and L. And so you're holding. Uh, under the cost method, you're holding this at cost, but but if it goes down in value, taking a hit to the P&L. And, you know, one hopes that if crypto goes up, you, you don't get the benefit through your P&L because you're holding it at cost. And so there is a bit of asymmetry in the intangible model, which I guess has led to, you know, certain people calling for an update to the accounting standards and whether intangible is really the right answer. And I guess, finally, if you're not going to use the cost model, there is something called the revaluation Method within that intangible guidance, which is really only available for what we call sort of uh, cryptos within a active market. So if you can kind of pinpoint a clear, observable price for it, you can use this sort of reval method. But if you've got a token that's you know uh, hard to price, you're using you know a pricing methodology, you know, uh, then you you can't avail yourself of this revaluation method. But again, as much as it gives you a bit more symmetry and that you initially hold it at, or measure it at cost, less, you know, transaction costs, that's sort of gas fees, uh, you then get to revalue this. But unfortunately, gains don't go to P&L. They go to something called a revaluation reserve. sits in equity. But again, if it goes down in value, you take it to your P&L. And so there's, you say, well, that, you know, when do I ever get a P&L gain when I sell it? And actually, the answer is no. Even if you sell it at a gain, that reval reserve in equity goes straight to retained earnings, not to your current year p So you will never get a p gain through your p and And so, again, you know, there's a, I guess, a, a question there of you know, p- people saying, well, is that really the right answer for this stuff? And, and it, you know, reading between the lines with micro strategies, uh, again, under US GAAP, but a bit of similar accounting treatment for intangible, they were pointing out quite deliberately that that was an unrealized loss that they were taking on impairment. And I think the SEC is saying, well, that's a non-gap measure. You can't call out to, you know, you can call it out, but you need to have appropriate caveats around non-gap disclosure. If you're going to strip that out, you know, and say, well, that's unrealized. That's not actually impacting my p and
0: uh, Fantastic. I mean, I, I was, I was worried, um, uh, how, how you were going to deal with that issue because it's, it's all very, Complex. But you made that very simple to understand and methodical. I guess, you know, the, 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 the thing to take out of it though seems to be that, um, and, 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 you know, I may be overly simplifying this, but, but if you are going to hold crypto on the balance sheet, then you do risk it being treated quite differently to say a traditional cash reserve or something like that. And, and in a way that, that could have, you know, an, an adverse impact on on at least your, you know, the the accounts that you're preparing for market and so forth. Is that would that be a sort of mistake? look?
2: I think that's fair, Nick. I mean, the, the the question here is: there's a lot of volatility still in this asset class, and so yeah. when when does a short-term, you know, decline in in Bitcoin price become uh, something more permanent that you then need to start thinking through an impairment assessment? And the yeah. auditors, regulators are very hot on impairment assessments and when you do them and making sure you get that right. And so I, you know, this is not a trivial issue. This is something you need to get right. And so I think there will be a lot of focus on that. And so that just introduces volatility into your P&L. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that is always going to be the way until, um, well, I say until, uh, uh, until we actually recognize that, that, you know, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, um, is is actual currency and and is sort of recognised I guess as an official currency because you know what 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 you're talking about there is a revaluation against fiat currency and so forth. So recognising that it's not a, an official currency, which leads us to uh, the next point. Where and you mentioned El Salvador, which became the first country in the world to recognise a cryptocurrency being Bitcoin uh, as an official currency. And so uh, you can buy and sell things uh, in El Salvador with Bitcoin um, as, as an officially recognised currency. Um, what? what do, how does that change things? Is that a, you know, Does that, does that change things for, for the concepts that we're talking about?
2: Look, look, I think over time it's certainly an indicator of, of where things can go but but i think you know that still the consensus is uh you, you know a bitcoin is more a of value than a, than ever being a currency and i think there's a, a pretty high hurdle from an accounting point of view of you know when something would be deemed to be cash uh and really it's a medium of exchange you know that's that's a mandated currency and so maybe mandated in el Salvador. You know, could you really use it to recognize and measure all your transactions in your financial statements in El Salvador? I still have a question over that. Uh, and so look, I, I think it's an interesting data point. I still think we're a long way away from having that as a cash or cash equivalent. But I guess going back to my earlier point, uh, just thinking through things like central bank digital coins, you know, w- where does that end up? Uh, is that a, you know, presumably a cash equivalent that is, effectively you know fiat currency representative in digital form you could have a retail or a wholesale uh you know coin but or offering but 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 i think you know the accounting standards do need to think these things through and there's clearly more issues that are going to come up over time and i guess look i don't have a crystal ball and i don't know the answer to is it better to try and have a single accounting standard that deals with crypto or the crypto issues or do we adjust the current standards, uh, you know, so you're going through lots of different standards and adjusting them to cater for crypto. Maybe we say, well, we don't need to. We've got good accounting standards already. But but I think that debate will just intensify over time.
0: And um, maybe moving to uh, another thing that uh, I think we're, uh, we're seeing clients being more interested in, particularly, um, the I guess, the, the more um, sort of tech-focused companies, which is where you're going to um, pay the workforce, you know, to pay your employees in a cryptocurrency. And it's interesting, uh, Finder, which is a very successful Australian uh, technology company, uh, and they have as their CEO uh, a fellow by the name of Fred Shibesta, who is one of the Australian sort of luminaries in the crypto space as well, and, you know, a, a sort of... Uh, uh, you know, an AFR, Young Rich Lister, and so forth. So very successful fellow and successful business. And so Finder have said that they are going to allow, or they are allowing their employees to take a certain percentage of their salary in cryptocurrency. Um, I guess, David, from, a, from an accounting perspective, is that, uh, is that a simpler proposition as it sounds? Uh,
2: look, generally, these, these things are never simple. But 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 look, and, and I'll probably draw a distinction between if a company is, is offering sort of an ICO or, or its own token, there are different issues associated with, well, f- first identifying from an issuer point of view what that is, you know, potentially is that akin to a share based payment because you're getting to an equity accounting style outcome. And so that is a bit different than, you know, paying in, in Bitcoin, which is, uh, in some regards is no different to paying an employee, you know, a car. You know, th- there are other non-monetary items that get paid to employees. Uh, now there's a number of tax consequences, which I won't go into with that as well. T- typically you're in IS 19, which is around employee benefits. And so, as I say, you sort of think about these as, as non-cash consideration as, as, as you would do any other sort of, you know, asset that, you know, intangible asset or, or, you know, uh, plan and equipment or car that you would pay to an employee
0: okay so we so we've got a framework there that we can that we can use so it's not um, you know it's not something that's beyond uh current regulatory framework and so forth so what about if we then looking at um, so let's say we've got a, you know you've you, producer of goods or services and they um you know that they say they've got a million dollars of gross revenue and they accept payment in Bitcoin and um, what are the key things to think about there where you're actually you you've decided to get into the business of accepting payment in cryptocurrency
2: yeah and and so look your starting point is if it's 15 which is the the revenue standard and and look you know you would say that sounds like a barter transaction it's you know the payment of, of a again a non-monetary item and so you you ask yourself uh, am i in the scope of if it's 15 or not and i think typically for this and the example you gave uh, that you need to work through it the 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 answer is probably you are and so where barter transactions are outside of 15 is you know the example given is if you're two, you know bp and shell trading oil and you're selling oil but rather than you're selling to each other but payment is also in oil as well. You're effectively, you know, that's almost a cross up And you say, well, actually, that barter transaction, if I'm not paying cash, I'm actually paying oil. You know, it's between two oil companies. We, we, we're we not in the scope of IFRIS 15. Uh, I think the example you gave where, you know, it's a manufacturer and they're accepting payment in Bitcoin, you would say that transaction is in the scope of IFRIS 15. And so you would just look at what's the fair value of the, with the bitcoin that I receive at the point in time, that's effectively my revenue. Now you do need to work through the 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 standard if it's fifteen, so you know there's there's a number of attributes to that standard, but but essentially you would probably be in the scope of, of fifteen. So again, there is a framework to deal with that.
0: Great. And I guess, um, just finally, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground and thank you. It's mm. been, um, it's been easy to understand, but are there other accounting issues in sort of this new, in this new sort of crypto and web three world that uh, you think people should be aware of?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Look, Nick, I'll probably call out three that, that I get questions on, uh, very quickly. The, the first is, you know, we, your questions are focused on, you know, as a holder of, bitcoin or a cryptocurrency on your balance sheet but but there is a lot of people also asking questions around if i issue my own token you know some sort of ico what how do i account for that and look you said it at the start some of the white papers that you see are quite hard to understand the enforceability of those from a legal point of view you know really needs to be understood in order to to get to the right accounting outcome and again you know, it could be IFRS 9, it could be IS 32 around, uh, you know, equity instruments. It could, again, be IFRS 15. It could be you know, effectively a prepayment, again, for a good or service that you're giving someone. Uh, or actually, it could be IS 37, which we haven't talked about. There's some sort of contingent liability in there that you need to, again, pay someone if, you know, there's some conditional event in the future. So, look, I've seen all sorts of accounting treatments for, for for ICOs. It is a very complex area. And so that that is absolutely one you need to seek advice on. Uh, so that's the first one. The, the second, again, we sort of touched on it, is just valuation. And so uh, how and when you do a valuation. You know, B- Bitcoin has a 24-hour you know, price. A traditional equity, you, know, you, you sort of close the day on the exchange, you get a price, it's published way you go if you've got bitcoin on your balance sheet do you value it at 11.59 on the on the cutoff day Uh, you know do you pick another time uh so that's one issue the other is just you know some of the lesser coins just the volatility how you get to a fair value can be quite challenging uh and, and look i'll end finally just just the custody arrangements uh it does impact the accounting and so you really need to think through have I actually got a Bitcoin? Do I own it? Do, do I have the private key? Uh, have I gift, you know, has, is someone looking after that for me, do they effectively have the Bitcoin and I have something else? Do I have, you know, do I still have the attributes of, you know, what, what is essentially a Bitcoin on my balance sheet? Or have I got something else, a relationship with the custodian and they have the Bitcoin on their balance sheet? And so I think you do need to work your way through, you know, a number of different issues, not, not just to do with the crypto itself, but but actually the the arrangements around how you hold that as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. It's um I mean certainly an extraordinary new world. It's uh, you know, as we sort of have to uh rethink a whole lot of things that we've sort of understood, I guess, up till now and things, you know, you mentioned tokens and how to deal with those. And it's fascinating because and we're, you know, working with clients who see tokens as really equity, you know, it's sort of a quasi equity type arrangement. So they're giving, you know, token option plans similar to employee share option plans and so forth. So it'd be interesting to see how that token economy rolls out. If you, you know, so you actually got two, two great, um, capital raising methods being, you know, shares and equity, but also with tokens. So we'll see that. And then. Um, the, the, the DAOs, the distributed autonomous organizations, which, you know, the Australian government's legitimately looking at as potentially legalizing, which is, um, you know, that is truly mind bending, uh, stuff. So, so lots to, uh, uh, lots to think about. And, um, thank you very much, uh, Damien for joining us. And can I say to anyone, uh, watching this, please, uh, you know, if you do have any accounting issues, go and see Damien and the team at EY. They are well across everything. They've got some fantastic, uh publications on this as well. If you uh if you're keen to stay up at night and understand uh what uriferous uh related obligations are then uh please do uh look up Damien and his team and also on their website. So with that thank you very much for your time today Damien.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks Nick thanks for the uh support as well.
0: Cheers. Thanks everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Mainstream. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organisation needs a Web3 strategy.